Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Milkshakers, welcome to another scintillating, ideological, bubbly, philosophical episode of Metaphysical Milkshake. I am Rain Wilson. And I am Reza Aslan and Rain. You know, we, we record these episodes obviously a little bit earlier than than you hear them, but uh today is kind of a solemn day for yeah. our nation. Summer uh, day. Today is the day that we're told that COVID deaths have reached one million Americans. And of course we all know it's much more than that, really. It's a, it's definitely an undercount, but you know, it's uh it's a threshold that's difficult to wrap wrap our minds around. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's it's absolutely devastating. And I remember those early weeks when people were online saying, "This isn't real. It doesn't exist. It's not a real disease. It's all a fabrication. It's just the flu." It just pisses me off so much. And here we are, uh, a million dead. Yeah, a lot of them were in poor health, and a lot of them were el- the elderly. But that doesn't matter. Uh, a million people died before their time, and um. It's really, it's really sad. And I wonder if, you know, if there is one positive thing that could come out of this experience, which is kind of a grotesque thing to say, if you think about it, Mm. maybe it has the ability to change our country's attitude towards death, the way that we think about death and deal with death. I mean, we, you know, we've talked about this on on previous episodes, the the fact that, you know, Americans, we don't like to talk or think about death, right? We do everything we can no. to keep it as far away from us as possible. But, you know, these last couple of years, it's been hard to avoid the topic and the question. And a majority of Americans uh, say from a study that uh, uh, more than half actually are thinking more about mortality because of huh. COVID-19 and its presence. Um the British historian Arnold Toynbee once remarked that death was un-American, because you're right. America's all about youth culture and beauty, yeah. virility, ambition, athletic prowess, you know, material success. Um, and it's really funny because the um, the Victorians were obsessed with death, actually, and they would talk about it all the time. They had seances. They would visit dead bodies in morgues. Those dead photos them. that they used to take, that you've seen yeah. those, you know? That's like the... The photos of the corpses. Chronicling the dead, hanging dead body pictures up in their houses. Yeah. And we're obsessed with sex. America is all about sex, 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 sex. <laughs> yeah. Just go to any old website and you'll see like, so-and-so stuns in her sizzling hot bikini. But it's interesting, death is something that has always 
really fascinated me and intrigued me, kind of not in a macabre way, but just a curiosity. It's it's it is the one thing we all have in common, you and me, Reza, and everyone listening to the show. And um, one of my great privileges in life was to be able to make a show about death. I produced a show called My Last Days for Soul Pancake, which was my old digital media uh, company and platform. And uh, the great uh, filmmaker, Justin Baldoni, uh, did uh, directed and produced an excellent series about lessons that we can learn about life from those at the end of their life. And it's always the same. It's always the same. It's connection, it's love, it's gratitude for what we have. It's savor every precious day. It's love people, connect with them, look them in the eyes, celebrate nature, uh, laugh together, make music together, break bread together. Um, This is this, you know, this incessant lesson that we learn from death. And it's interesting because we took this show, it was an incredibly popular show. I mean, hundreds of millions of views on this show about death. Who would have thunk? And we pitched it around town. We're like, there's got to be like a TV show version of this, right? We went into MTV, sat in a room full of executives back when MTV was a thing. And we showed them our sizzle reel, some sections of the show. We ended it. They're in this conference room. They were sobbing. All of them were in tears, tears pouring down the face of television executives, which is no mean feat, let me tell you. (laughs) And they were like, as they were wiping their tears, like, that was so beautiful. Oh, my God, this show is so exquisitely done. It's amazing. We can't air it. We can't show it. I'm so sorry. That'll never happen. We can't do a show about death. Yeah. How would we possibly get advertisers to advertise, you know, Cheerios and Toyotas and, and Dr. Scholl's <laughs> uh-huh. while you're watching people dying? Which, of course, is such a shame because, as you rightly note, there are so many lessons to be learned about life from confronting death, you mm. know? Um, yeah. So much to understand about, you know, what life is about, what it means to to live. If we are just willing to take a look at death, just stare mm. it right in the eyes for a little bit. And, and that's the topic uh, for the pod today, Milkshakers. What can we learn about life from death. We've brought in someone with a great perspective about this. Uh, Adam Robarts has written this book, 19, 19 Insights Learned from a 19-Year-Old with Cancer. I really uh, have enjoyed reading this book. It's very thoughtful, extremely touching, very sensitive, inc- incredibly thought-provoking, but really like heart-provoking. Yeah. Uh, Adam Robarts was born in London, raised in Uganda and Kenya, He lived in the UK. He uh, had an award-winning design firm in China. All of his children, all four of them, were born and raised in Beijing. And he, uh, at one point in time, was asked, you know, if you couldn't be an architect, what occupation would you want to have? And he said, without a pause, a hospice nurse. And well, um, in a tragic fashion, uh, he became a hospice nurse uh, for nine and a half months uh, with his son, Hayden, 19 years old, uh, and accompanied him on a battle, a losing battle with a rare brain cancer. And um, 
uh, he shares these beautiful and poignant lessons learned on the family's journey through this process in his book. Let's welcome to the show, Adam Robarts. You're dialing in from Bali? I am, yes, the other side of the world. <laughs> wow, we're honored. We're so honored. It always sounds like I should be sounds like I should be on holiday in Bali. So I prefer to say I'm dialing in from Indonesia or something like that. It's a little bit more <laughs> Right. Right. Indonesia more. sounds more formal, business like. Yeah. <laughs> I found your book 19 Insights Learned from a 19-Year-Old with Cancer. I found it really beautiful, poignant, mm -hmm. moving, touching, thought-provoking. Um, so I'm very, very sorry for the loss of you and your family. Um, I got to uh, meet Hayden very briefly when he was sick on a, on a little Zoom call to say hello, um, but I didn't know him very well. Um, and know your family a little bit, uh, your sister, Sarah, and um, other folks in your circle. But I guess, you know, one of the things I was really struck by, and it brought up a lot for me, was over this last year, I lost two of my very best friends to cancer. Um, in the midst of this incredible pandemic where we've lost a million people in the United States, we just the other day hit one million yeah. lost to COVID. Um, in the middle of that, I had two friends battling cancer till the very end, uh, suffering greatly, incredible amounts of pain. And um, it, was, uh, it was devastating. It was devastating. And this part of what this book does is it chronicles your kind of year and a half struggle with your dying son, trying kind of every kind of treatment that's out there. And and at the same time, and this is where it uh, it differs a little bit with my friends. My friends were also trying, struggling to find any possible positive outcome, any possible cure, um, experimental therapies, et cetera, um, anything they could to you know eat healthy and and hold on to as much life as possible. Yeah. But what you also chronicle in the book is the process with Hayden of uh, was 18 years old, 19 years old, as this is happening, of getting in tune with our mortality and kind of getting right with God, for lack of a better phrase, and aligning oneself with the inevitability, um, sorrow, tragedy, but also majesty of death. And um, so you have all these different layers and stories and textures and of course, it's chock-a-block with incredible spiritual lessons, and we'll get to some of those later on. But ultimately, when he was passing, did he know you were going to write a book? Did you guys have a conversation like, I think I'm going to document some of that. Would this be okay, Hayden? Or was this a book that came out kind of after the fact? And really, ultimately, what inspired you to write this? Who? Well, first of all, Rain, I also, sorry for your grief and your losses. And I think you lost your father last year, didn't you? Or was it the year before? I, I did, remember yeah. hearing something that... Yes, so. yes. That was not cancer, but yes, uh, there was yeah. uh, a lot of death all around in, in my life and in the country's life, the, yeah. the, the globe's life. Yeah. So here is a book about facing death and approaching that veil to whatever lies beyond. 
Um, but it's not a book that is meant to stop there. The purpose of the book is to help us to live more fully, to live more purposefully. And actually, it's so interesting that you use the word majesty. I think, Rain, you said the majesty of death. Yeah. I, I don't use that expression in the book, but I wish I had. I think it's very powerful. And so much of what death is about is, is majestic. It's awesome. Um, so where did this come about? Well, first of all, we were thrown into this unknown world of accompanying a 19-year-old with his life ahead of him, wonderful prospects ahead of him, about to study architecture. Suddenly, out of the blue, he's diagnosed with brain cancer, an aggressive brain cancer. And um, so we spent nine and a half months in and out of hospitals and looking for treatments of different kinds, in addition to the normal sort of cut, burn, poison, you know, of surgery, radiotherapy, um, and uh, chemotherapy. So yeah, we did not expect to write a book. I never told Hayden I would write a book. I had no intention mm. of writing a book. Mm. But during that course, every week, every week or so, I would send out an email to friends and family. And this email would basically usually ask for prayers, but it would give a little bit of an update on what we were doing and also what we were feeling. And at the end of the journey, after Hayden had passed away, I received three or four emails from friends who said you should publish those emails. Oh. I, so that's really the sort of the, the seed, the germ of this book came from that very simple suggestion, you know, take the emails and do something with them. I didn't intend to publish a book, but I thought if it's really just putting the emails together, I, I'm sure I can do that. Um, interestingly, after Hayden passed away, we found in a little black notebook he kept beside his bed some notes that gave us the impression he planned to write a book. He was kind of like notes to self. Mm. And there was even a title for the book. Um, the title for Hayden's book seems from his notes that he was exploring the idea. He says, the title, take the self out of self-help. Mm. I mean, I think that would destroy a whole industry. <laughs> so we didn't <laughs> use that title. But interestingly, he also said, use quotes from all religions. Mm -hmm. and which you, which you did throughout yeah. the book, which certainly. I did, yeah. Every chapter begins with a kind of sprinkling of wisdom um, from the different religions, from Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the Baha'i faith. Um, and that's a tribute to Hayden. Adam, what do, you, what do you think he meant by take the self out of self-help? How, how do you interpret that? You know, there's a lot of focus on self and self-help and looking after ourselves and taking care of ourselves and um, books and books on shelves and shelves and bookshops and bookshops. But Hayden was remarkably selfless. He always was looking out for others and trying to bring joy to others. Rain, you mentioned that you had a chance to chat with Hayden just before he passed away. You know the context of that was Hayden asked two people who were very close to him, his mum and his younger brother, what wish they would like to have fulfilled. Hayden's younger brother, Keon, is a fan of The Office, has watched it over and over and over again. And 
he, Hayden knew this. And Hayden thought, you know what? I'm going to surprise Keon. I'm going to put him in touch with Rain Wilson. So <laughs> surprise, he figured it out. I think through my sister, Sarah, he managed to get a phone number for you, Rain. And one day, almost maybe two or three weeks before he passed away, Hayden sat up in his bed and the phone call was made. And he called Keon over and said, Keon, I've got a surprise for you. This is a call for you. And it was Rain Wilson at the other end. <laughs> so, you know, how sweet and selfless. There was Hayden looking after others and making their wishes come true. So take the self out of self-help was so much about Hayden, always thinking of others. The Geeked Podcast is your weekly energy boost of the world's fandoms and stories you love. Hosted by Princess Weeks, author, YouTuber, and connoisseur of all things Sailor Moon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Tessa Netting, who's an actress, musical theater nerd, and lover of all fictional villains. Each week, these two will break down the top stories in the land of geekdom, and then they'll take a deep dive into the lore of Netflix worlds bigger than our own, worlds like Stranger Things, The Umbrella Academy, love that show, The Witcher, and many more. You'll also get to hear some of your favorite actors and creatives talk about fun behind-the-scenes tidbits and, of course, what they are geeking out about. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone who is scouring Twitter threads and fan wikis dying to theorize and talk about that new show they're all obsessed with. Interviews include breakout stars from Stranger Things and Umbrella Academy, as well as cultural critics and professional geeks like you, Rain. New episodes of the Geeked Podcast come out weekly. Follow the Geeked Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow at Netflix Geeked on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's a famous study of Dr. Martin Seligman, who's the kind of founder of the movement in the 90s, gave his students... Uh, forgive me, milkshakers, if I've told this story before. It's one of my favorite ones. But he told his psychology students to spend one weekend going out and um, doing anything that they thought would make them more happy. And they had previously taken a happiness test to kind of set their baseline. And so they went out that weekend. They drank. They gambled. They 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 hooked up. They went shopping. They went to the beach. You know all this stuff. They came back. They took the happiness test again. They scored lower. And then the following weekend, he's like, I want you to go out and be of service to someone else this weekend. It could be anything. 
call your grandmother, hold the door open at the grocery store, visit a sick friend, et cetera, like that. And, and then they took the happiness test again that week after they got back. And if, lo and behold, their happiness scores were higher. So this whole, you know, we're stuck in this mode in the United States of like, oh, I don't know about self-help necessarily or self-care, but I would say um, a, a kind of selfish pursuit of pleasure um, actually doesn't make us happier. You know, I don't think anyone is saying like, don't do things that are pleasurable, but pursuing hookups, gambling, drinking bouts, shopping binges, what, what have you, don't actually increase happiness, but serving others actually does work. So this is, you know, this is verifiable. There's, there's data around this. This pleasure-seeking world that we have created in the West, you know, where we really focus on how to find pleasure to, in order to find happiness, it's not working. You know, so what is the alternative to a pleasure-centered framework, a pleasure-centered goal? You know, in the Eastern world, you know, China was where Hayden grew up. You know, the focus is much more on growth. The purpose of life is to grow. And of course, pleasure has its place and is a very wonderful part of growth that we enjoy it. We enjoy the journey. But if growth is our focus, then when pain comes along, it's okay because pain has its place in promoting growth, in stimulating growth, in everything from nature, the way a seed breaks and becomes a tree, to living the life of a human being. Whereas if pleasure is our focus, when pain comes along, it's like disaster, right? It's, you know, that's not, 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 not what we planned. So I think shifting from a pleasure-focused orientation to a growth-focused orientation to our lives allows us to deal with much more, to accept the pleasure, but also to accept when things don't go the way we expect, which was very much this journey of suffering and the journey that I think in the US with the 1 million COVID deaths that you mentioned, Rain, you know, this is not what we bargained for, but how can we accept it if pleasure is the focus? And especially when we think about where is this pleasure coming from? Because if it's coming from the body, then we're really in trouble. You know, I think in the Western world, we are in danger of idolizing the mortal body. You know, and idolizing the mortal body makes death ultimately the worst thing that could happen. You know, that's when the mortal body collapses and the idol is shattered. So we'll do everything we can to protect that idol, keep it on its pedestal. So idolizing the mortal body is a is a rut we've got ourselves into, and we need to shatter the idol of the mortal body. Yeah, you know, especially here in the United States, we've talked about this before on previous pods. You know, we don't like to think about death. Death is a thing that we try to keep um, as distant from our experience as possible. Most people, even in the midst of this horrific um, pandemic, don't want to be faced with their own mortality. You know, we we try to keep it at arm's length. But and I wonder if, you know, Hayden went through almost a year. Uh, you know, uh, of this, right? Is that about right? It was about a year or so. Yeah, nine and a half months a half from months. Uh, diagnosis right. until his graduation from this world. And I and I wonder if 
if having him go through those nine months in a way kind of forced you and your family, and of course Hayden himself, to really confront death, to look at it in the face, to start to get used to the idea, and dare I say, even perhaps somewhat comfortable with the fact that it it's coming, as opposed to, I think, so many people who lose people unexpectedly. Um, could you talk about what that the what the experience of thinking about death during those nine months was? I mean, obviously, certainly, I'm certain you had hope and and you know you were trying to be optimistic and and uh, believe that something you know could possibly happen that would change Hayden's fate. But you must have known all along that death was a very real possibility. How did that prepare you for? Um, Hayden's passing? Great question. And you know, I'm, I am grateful that we had that nine months, nine and a bit months with Hayden, because of course we were not expecting that he would die. We thought we were in the best medical hands and there was a, there was a real chance of a cure. So we entered this journey, not looking forward to death, but doing everything we can to keep him alive and hopefully return to good health. But the minute anybody hears the words, you have cancer, it's got to cross your mind that this might not, might not be the end that we expect. You know, cancer has this sort of ominous tone to it, uh, this ring that, wow, maybe I won't survive it. So we had that period of becoming potentially accustomed um, to an outcome where he wouldn't survive this world. And I say in the book that I was grateful for that. I, it crushes my heart to think of what parents must go through when there's suddenly an awful death of a child that is sudden and without any opportunity to prepare or to say goodbye. So yes, we had nine and a bit months with Hayden to, to be on our toes, to be conscious that this could be the outcome. But I think each one of us could live like that with our children and our friends and ourselves and actually find that our lives become more alive. Ironically, in the presence of death, become more alive, more conscious, um, more respectful. You know, if you're told you only have a week to live, you might live that week differently than if you were not told you had a week to live. If you have a day to live, yeah. you know, what, what would you do in that day? You would totally live it with purpose. Yeah, the, the Stoics used to uh, always say, memento mori, like remember you are going to yeah. die. And that would actually be when the Caesars would walk or the generals would walk down the street, they would have a Stoic philosopher walking behind them with like a megaphone saying, memento mori, as the crowds are cheering them, walking down the streets in a parade. Remember guys, you are going popular. to die. Remember you are going to die. It is humbling and uh, and very helpful. And, it, and also it's great very similar to the, it's so much fun at parties. <laughs> but uh, it also reminds me of the Native American saying, which is, you know, today is a good day to die, which was a frequent uh Native American brave or warrior saying that would say each morning, like um, it's a kind of a daily reminder because it does allow you to live the day in a different way by remembering your mortality. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. But, you know, I wanted to uh, jump to a question. The, the, the reason that I know you and, and know your family is uh, we're both members of the Baha'i faith and have some friends in common. And... Um, you know, the Baha'i faith has some really beautiful spiritual teachings about death as a transition to another plane of existence. We're on a physical plane right now. We take with us our, our soul, our spiritual qualities, our, 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 our virtues, like our honesty and kindness and humility and um, all of our compassion. These are the things that we take with us. We don't take with us our, our Tesla and our folding chairs and our laptops. We are taking these qualities with us into this, whatever this next plane of existence is. And um, there's, there's hundreds, thousands of uh, amazing and beautiful quotes from the Baha'i faith about death. But one of the famous ones by the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, he says, I have made death a messenger of joy to thee. Wherefore dost thou grieve? And you're, you're kind of tipping your hat to that in your answer here. But were you somehow able to live in this dichotomy of death is the most tragic thing. It's the most horrible thing. It's, it's heart-wrenching. How in the hell is death a messenger of joy? And how could Baha'u'llah say death is a messenger of joy? Wherefore, why do you grieve when it's a messenger of joy from, from the beloved, from our divine creator? Did you struggle with that? Was it a cinch? Give us some insight. <laughs> You know, until Hayden's journey, I thought Baha'u'llah's statement, I have made death a messenger of joy to thee, was more metaphorical, um, that it could really be joy. I, I guess I believed it because I'd read it, you know, and I, I believe there is extraordinary truth uh, in these writings of Baha'u'llah. But yeah, it's, as you said, it's somehow almost weird. It's, you know, it's beyond what we can even comprehend, especially for, for our own child. Um, but you know, there are a couple of things. First of all, how do you look forward to death? Right? <laughs> like, how do you imagine joy, you know, in something that is so obviously tragic? You know, Abdul Baha, when he was asked that question, he said, how does one look forward to the goal of any journey. And, you know, Hayden saw this journey of life as being ultimately a journey not to death as the end, but to death as a doorway to whatever lay beyond. So he saw it as a doorway to an adventure. We don't know what that adventure looks like. You know, we have some little clues from the writings 
or the sayings of the world's religious teachers. But it's a mystery. The next world is a mystery. But Hayden believed in it. He believed that death was not the end. So he actually accepted that there was something beyond and he believed there was something beyond. And he, I almost want to say he looked forward to it, you know, when he knew there was no alternative, um, like looking forward to the goal of a journey, to the more abundant life that lay beyond. The question that we're tackling in this episode is what can death teach us about life? And the book is called 19 and it, and it details 19 lessons um, that you learned from the loss of your son. And I wonder if there's, you know, a couple of one or two lessons in particular that have really stuck with you the most that you could share with us. You know, there's a chapter on detachment and, or really not a chapter, it's a lesson on detachment. And mm -hmm. in it, we share that one day Hayden received a sweet little video from a young man in Wales, actually, who'd never met Hayden, but his wife um, had met Hayden and told, that, told this fellow that um, Hayden Robarts was uh, in a, a very critically ill state. He had brain cancer. And this young fellow who had MS sent a little video to Hayden. And in it, he talks about some things and then he looks straight into the camera and he says, Hayden, you are not your body. And mm. that was a powerful single take home message. And I think Hayden got it and I heard it and it just like went right to my heart. Uh, you are not your body. So what are you then? Right. <laughs> so I, I think that was a powerful message. And so I use that kind of like a tagline in the, in the lesson on detachment, that we are much more than our bodies. And so in that, in that chapter, we look at some things that we did where we practiced that learning. You know, Hayden did some meditation uh, during his illness. Uh, one meditation he did, or you, we might call it a meditation, you might call it a visualization. And in this visualization, which a dear friend of ours sent to us, and we just listened to it, uh, on Hayden's phone. But basically, you feel yourself in your body, you feel your toes and your knees and your legs and your torso, and you become one with your body. And then in the visualization, you then step away from your body or you visualize your body from the ceiling of the room. So you look down on this thing we call your body that's in the bed, and then you go above the ceiling and you go above the building and you look down and then you go above the building and you look down at the street and the city and then you go higher up and you look down at the, the state and the country and the ultimately the planet. And there is this beautiful planet and you admire its majesty, its serenity, its peacefulness, its unity. And then little by little in the meditation, you come down back closer through the clouds and to the top of the building and then to the top of the ceiling in your room and then you go back into your body. And actually that, that visualization or that meditation helps us to realize that we can get out of our bodies. You know, we are more than our bodies. In that visualization, we prove it, right? In the mind, we can experience things that are able to see the body at a distance. 
And this is something that is practiced in some forms of meditation, um, in some practices of mindfulness, where we separate ourselves and take a look. You know, it helps us to mm. take a more honest look, a less involved look. You know, when you see, you know, here, here we are, we're a body watching the television on the sofa. This is something Michael Singer says in, in his book, The Untethered Soul. You know, here we are, instead of being a body, sitting on a sofa watching a TV, now step back and be the one who observes the body on the sofa watching the TV, right? And all of a sudden, when we see ourselves in that way, we become more mindful, more mindful of that body and its purpose. It is a temple, it is a vehicle. So these are tools, these are exercises, we might call them spiritual exercises um, that help us to live our lives more consciously, more mindfully, more aware um, of that body and its relationship to the mind that ultimately controls it, ultimately directs it. And when we talk about mind, we don't mean brain, right? The mind uses the brain as an as a organ, but the mind is a spiritual quality. And like love and kindness, gentleness, generosity, these are all spiritual qualities and they manifest themselves through the body and its actions, but they are not the body and we are not our bodies. The body ultimately is a bag of bones. We're going to put it in the earth and say goodbye to it. It will have done its job. Um, and that's not, that's not death. That's the death of the body. The real me keeps going. So when we even talk about death, what's the take-home message? Is that let's think about what is actually dying. A bag of bones is dying. I don't mean to trivialize it or to superficialize it, but it's important to think again about what really is dying. The, in, the, in Tibetan Buddhism, they actually undertake a um a death meditation and it's really gruesome like this is something that i think americans could really benefit from which is uh you literally are picture yourself lying and you picture your final breaths and you picture your your lungs stop moving and your heart stops beating and you Picture your life flashing before your eyes and you have that whole experience and then you're moving away from your body into like a world of light. And um, and they take you on. My uncle did this with uh, at, a, at, a, at a Tibetan Buddhist retreat and he said it was just excruciating and profound. But apparently they do it on a regular basis. Like, and, it's a, and it's very, very moment by moment, extremely thoughtful going back to that memento mori thing and you know what lessons can we take away uh, from the act of death for our lives to enrich our lives this idea of conscious dying or meditating on one's death and consciously approaching that moment of death preparing not so much our bodies but our soul our spirit for dying is a profound um, profound experience. And interestingly, here we were as a family trying in our lives to practice conscious living and now faced with the opportunity and the privilege 
to practice conscious dying. Uh, that's what Hayden was doing. And, you know, he had that as a, as a gift, maybe, you know, that he was able to prepare his thoughts, his mind uh, to die. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun journey. It wasn't joyous. Um, it was a little bit scary, a little bit nerve-wracking, but it was a journey that was conscious. It was purposeful. And there were moments of intense beauty when we were praying together or being together or smiling together or Hayden even telling jokes with us in the room to make us smile. I mean, really, it was an extraordinary journey, a sort of bittersweet, bittersweet experience together. These are gorgeous stories, uh, Adam. The book is just uh, beautiful. Everyone, 19, 19 insights learned from a 19-year-old with cancer. I'm deeply, deeply sorry for your loss. Like I said, I can't even imagine uh, having a teenage son. You know, right now, I, I, I won't go there. But um, the way that you vulnerably, expertly, succinctly turned um, this, this tragic and uplifting nine and a half months that you went through into these beautiful morsels of spiritual wisdom um, is what a great legacy. Because that's, that's what you've done, is yeah. you've created yeah. a legacy for Hayden. And I suppose that's, that's really what we all want. You know, I do that sometimes when I, when I think about, you know, an essay I'm writing or finishing a book or doing a movie, even like, oh, this is part of my legacy. If anyone ever cares whatever happened to that, that weird big headed Baha'i actor that was on the show, The Office back in the day, then they'll be able to, oh, there's a book or there's an essay or there's a movie or, uh, and I, I somehow hope that lasts, but you have created a, um, an incredible legacy uh, yeah. for Hayden. And um, it's a, it's a beautiful perspective and you just read a little bit of the book and it shifts your your perspective on how you're living just that very day. I had to, I had, I couldn't kind of plow through it. It's not a book I could plow through. I could kind of just read a few pages a day and uh, really loved it. So thank you for sharing your experience and um, so many uh, brilliant uh, takeaways. It's gorgeous. Yeah, we're really grateful. Guys, I wonder whether it might be meaningful um, to read the last paragraph of the book, you know, just because it was Hayden's legacy, it was his wish. Um, if we talk about legacy, you know, Hayden, Hayden did leave notes in his little notebook and on his mobile phone. And to some extent, we could call them a will. Um, there is one bit, one part of the, the notebook that looks like it really was a will. He sort of wrote it like, you know, put a call that will. He didn't finish it. But here is what he said. He said, I don't want people to disrupt their lives grieving. Keep working, keep loving, keep smiling, keep contributing to the community. I want to be a beacon of joy and happiness, whether alive or in the next world. Please fulfill this wish for me if I am unable to do so myself. Try whenever you can to bring a smile to people's faces, to be a light in a dark room. So do what you can to help others. So I think the legacy is to take that 
and try in whatever way I can to fulfill that wish as he asked us to. What an incredible legacy and uh, that message of service, joy, purpose, um, and the hope, the hope piece. That is absolutely incredible that someone could go through that and feel even more hope for themselves, their family, and humanity, you know? That is, that's a, that's a powerful message. Thanks again, Adam Robarts. The book is 19. Thank you, Adam. I hope people will check it out. Thanks for joining us all the way from early morning in Bali. Thank you, Metaphysical Milkshake. Thanks, Reza. Thank you, Rain. Thank you for your team. It's a, a great privilege to have been acknowledged and given this space to talk about uh, my son, Hayden, and the book 19 that uh, seeks to honor him and to learn from his his journey through cancer. Thanks, guys. Well, it's hard to know where to go uh, from that. Um, I really, I really appreciate how open and honest Adam was, and you know how he was willing to share what must have been a, a just a, a unimaginable loss. I kept, you know, you and I are both fathers. I kept putting myself in his place, and I, I just, I feel like. There's no way that I could do what he's doing right now. Go around the country, go around the world, talking about you know my son and what people can learn from his experiences. Really, really grateful for his presence on this pod. It's uh, it's a tragic story. I love how he turned his legacy into one of hope uh, in a, in such brave fashion. And listen, listeners, we'll be giving away copies of Adam's new book, Nineteen. The first five people that write a review of Metaphysical Milkshake on the Apple Podcasts app. Just take a screenshot of that review, email it to metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's with cast with a K, metaphysical at castmedia.com. We'll be sent a copy of the book. So we're going to copy of the book. So we would love to hear from you um, about your thoughts on death, lessons from death. Perhaps someone close to you passed away and you uh, gleaned something from it, some kernel of wisdom. We would love to hear from you. Or if you have your own life's big questions, find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson, on Twitter at MetaMilk Podcast, and on Instagram. Please follow us at, at Metaphysical Milkshake on Instagram. Uh, let us know your life's big questions, and we might explore them on a future episode. And please remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you can always subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel. Watch our full episodes every week. See you next time. Thanks. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Imagine going around in a party with a megaphone. <laughs> you are going to die. Remember, you are going to die. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.